Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Great Falling Away, from our series, Ready or Not. We're glad you're with us. You have your Bible? Hope you're ready. Matthew 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In fact, I want you to go ahead to 2 Thessalonians 2. That's where I'm going to read in just a moment. Let me catch you up where we are in the series right now. Two weeks ago, we studied the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 in this series called Ready or Not. We're talking about the coming of the Lord. And if we are going to be ready for the coming of the Lord, first of all, Jesus tells us three things we ought not to do. Jesus said he is coming again and he's coming is going to be unpredictable. So number one, we should not panic. The coming of the Lord is good news, not bad news. Number two, we should not predict. No one is going to know the day or hour of the Lord's return. So don't listen to anyone who pretends to. And then number three, don't procrastinate. Because he could come anytime, we must always be ready for his return. Last week, we looked at Matthew 25, the next chapter. And instead of telling us what not to do, Jesus told us what to do in order to be ready. He said in order to be ready for the coming of the Lord, we must be waiting like a loving bride and working like a loyal servant and watching like a lifelong friend. And so that's how we're ready for the coming of the Lord, watching, waiting, working for his kingdom. Today I want us to unpack one of the most important signs of the return of Jesus. Jesus talks about it. Paul talks about it. In Matthew 24, Jesus gives us several signs. He gives some signs in the world. Number one, Jesus said in the world, you'll see worldwide religious deception. Matthew 24, 4 and 5. In Matthew 24, verses 6 and 7, he says there'll be racial unrest, nation rising against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. The word nation is the word ethnos. It means ethnic group. There'll be racial tension in the last days. If you believe that, say Amen. The Bible says there'll be natural disaster in the last days. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus predicted war and disease or pestilence and earthquakes in various places. But he also gives some signs not only in the world but signs in the church that his coming is near. In verse 9 and 10, he said there'll be hatred of his people, persecution of those who call on his name. Verse 11 says there'll be false teaching and spiritual deception that tries to creep into the church and pull people away from their walk with Christ. Verse 12 says there will be lawless living even among those who name the name of Christ. And certainly if you have any exposure to church today, you know that there are many times lawless people are in the church just as certainly as they're in the world. Verse 12 also says the love of many will grow cold. In other words, many people who were once passionate in their walk with God will lose their fire for God and their love for God will wax cold. It will drop. Their temperature will drop. Jesus warns us of this in Revelation about becoming lukewarm or even becoming cold. Today I want to focus on this last sign, this falling away, this growing cold in our love for God. And I want to unpack what Paul says about it as well as what Jesus said. Look with me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and you'll find it as we talk about the great falling away. Say that with me. The great falling away. 2 Thessalonians 2, hear the word of the Lord. 
Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So I want you to notice that. He says, we're talking about our gathering together to the Lord, Jesus coming and gathering his church to him. It will not happen, he says, unless first there be a great falling away. That's the prophecy. That's what Paul says we are to look for. So number one, I want to talk to you about the possibility of falling away. Say that with me. The possibility of falling away. Now it seems odd that I'd have to make the case for this, but you do have to make the case for this. Because there are many people in the church today who don't believe it is possible to fall away. Well, I want to I take a moment and, and make the case that I believe it is possible for us to fall away from our walk with God. We're describing the sin of apostasy. That's what the Bible describes it as. Some would argue those who fall away, fall away from the church, but they were never really connected to Christ anyway. So the falling away is just outward, it's not inward. I do believe that happens sometimes. I believe there are quite a few people who come to church and on the outside everything looks like it's okay with the Lord. But on the inside, something is never quite right. They never fully surrender to the Lord. They never give their whole heart. And they never put down roots deep in God's Word. And so when trouble comes, they don't last long. And um, they fall out because they never were really in to begin with. I believe that does happen. However, I don't believe that's the only thing that happens. And I don't believe that the New Testament teaches it's true in every case where someone departs from the faith. Not every believer perseveres or continues in the faith or endures to the end. Whatever the cause, we can all agree on this. Not everyone who starts the race finishes the race, and finishing matters more than starting. How you finish matters more than how you start. Jesus is very clear about that. Not everyone who is part of the visible church is part of the spiritual church, the bride that Jesus is coming for when he returns one day very soon. Whether it is the dead fruit of false converts that gets shaken out of the bush or whether it is backsliding believers who fail to remain in the faith or abide in the Lord Jesus, I believe in the possibility of falling away. I believe it because Jesus taught it. Jesus said in Matthew 13, He who received the seed on stony places, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. This is someone who started, but they did not finish. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus describes someone who turns back. 
even though they started the journey. Matthew 24, 12, we just read it. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Look at the rest of the verse. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Not everybody who starts endures to the end. Whether that's an inward thing or an outward thing, Jesus doesn't say. But what he's clear about is this. You know them by their fruits. You can identify people who are walking with the Lord by their actions. Jesus taught it. Number two, Peter taught it. Second Peter 3.14, Peter says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. You, therefore, beloved since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away by the error of the wicked. The NIV says, beware lest you fall from your secure position. I'm secure as a believer. Yes, you are, but you can fall from your secure position if you get led away and stop believing the truth and stop walking with the Lord. Peter taught it. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. Colossians 1.21, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed, say if, If indeed you continue in the faith, say continue. You must continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, notice the next line, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard and which was preached to every creature. So if you're going to make it, if you're going to make it, and he says if, not me, he says if, and he says you're going to have to continue steadfast and you're going to have to not be moved away from the gospel. And so there's a possibility that we can be moved away and not continue. The writer of Hebrews taught it. Hebrews 3, 12 and 14, he says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. You can't depart from God if you were never with God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if, say, if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So the writer of Hebrews is clear. It is possible to start and not finish. He's very clear about that. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews, this is the topic of it. The writer of Hebrews is telling the church, don't fall away from your faith in Christ. Don't draw back to your old life because if you draw back, you'll be lost forever. That's the argument of the book of Hebrews. Why would the Holy Spirit waste his breath and give us a whole book warning us not to go back if it's impossible to go back? We must persevere. We must endure. We must continue. Why? Because there is the possibility of falling away. And the Bible is very clear about it. I could give you many more passages about it where Jesus and others say it is possible. But I want you to notice number two. How does it happen, Pastor? How does it happen and how can we avoid it? Well, let me give you the prescription for falling away. Let me explain how this happens to a person. Let me give you the recipe here. Satanic deception plus stubborn disobedience leads to apostasy. 
That's the equation. Deception plus disobedience leads to apostasy. Number one, stubborn disobedience. Say that with me. Stubborn disobedience. Remember that Jesus said, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. In other words, if you decide you're going to live a lawless life, if you make up your mind you're going to live with no regard for God's commands, your love for God will grow cold and you will drift away from him. Titus says, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Notice that. Our persistence in disobedience disqualifies us. Paul tells his son Timothy, know this, in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of what is good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. What does it mean to have a form of godliness but deny the power? It means they practice religion but they don't live right. <laughs> they claim to walk with the Lord but they don't walk in godliness. There's power in godliness. The grace of God doesn't just forgive us of sin, it frees us from the power of sin. Grace doesn't just deal with the guilt of sin, it deals with the grip of sin. It'll break you free from the penalty and the power of sin. And that's what grace does. Titus tells us that. Peter describes those who fall away in this way. 2 Peter 2 and 20 says, For if after they have escaped the pollutions of this world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, stop right there. Number one, they escaped the pollutions of this world. That's a genuine conversion. How do you know it's genuine? Through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They knew Jesus. It's, it's not just knowing about him, but they had knowledge, personal knowledge of Jesus. They knew the Lord. If they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end for them is worse than the beginning. Now, let me say this. The Bible is not describing a believer who occasionally slips and falls into an act of sin. He is describing someone who stubbornly insists on living in sin and claiming to still be a Christian, a believer. They wrongly believe that grace is permission to do whatever they want to. They think that the blood of Jesus is just a doormat we can wipe our feet on anytime we decide to do what is wrong. This is who Jude is describing in his book when he says, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness. What does it mean? They say that God's grace is a license to sin, and by doing so, they deny our only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you that you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Not everybody who came out of Egypt made it into Canaan land, and not everybody who comes out of the world into the church makes it home to heaven. That's the lesson. That's what Jude is saying. Not everyone who is visibly present is spiritually where they ought to be. That's always a danger. Hebrews 10.29 says, how, of how much sorer punishment do you believe he will be thought worthy who's trampled the Son of God underfoot and counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? 
Do you see it there? This person was sanctified, but now they've treated the grace of God like a doormat and they've trampled the blood of Jesus and now they have willfully gone back into their old life of sin. And if you read the verses before this, it makes it very clear that they have lost out with the Lord. The main problem with a Christian professing uh, to be a believer and living in sin is this. It numbs your conscience. It dulls your ability to hear from God. It causes you to not be able to tell truth from error, right from wrong, a lie from what God really teaches. Stubborn disobedience leads to satanic deception. When my heart decides that it's not going to walk in the way of God, the Lord allows the enemy to come in and let, me, let my heart be deceived and believe a lie, and I persist in that. That's the judgment that comes on people who walk in disobedience. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, he says, The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will be turned aside to fables. Paul is not writing about the world. He's writing about the church. And he says there'll be a time in the last days when people in the church won't listen to you preach the truth. But instead, if you preach and you go down their corn row, if you address their sin, if you talk about something that makes them uncomfortable, if you speak about something that they're guilty of, the Bible says they'll tune you out and they'll leave your church and they'll go down the road and they'll hunt them a preacher who says what they want to hear. That's what Timothy is being warned about here. And that's what happens when we choose to ignore God's command and persist in sin. We get mad at the pastor who preaches the truth and confronts us, so we go looking for a new preacher who will agree with us and tell us what we want to hear. You see, when you ignore God's truth and you thumb your nose at his commands, it, then you bring judgment on yourself. 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 11 and 12 says this, And for this reason, because they don't want to obey the truth, for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you have pleasure in sin, you won't believe the truth for long. And if you are believing what isn't true, it'll lead you into sin. Right belief and right behavior are always tied together in the Bible. Right doctrine and right belief. We've got to believe right and we've got to live right. We believe the truth and we practice the truth. And that's what it means to be in the truth. Amen. 1 Timothy, Paul says, Now the Spirit says expressly that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Again, you can't depart from the faith if you were never in the faith. They will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's what happens. The longer you live in sin, the less you feel the pain in your conscience. You get numb to the Spirit's conviction. Peter warns in 2 Peter chapter 2, but there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. Look at verse 18. For when they speak great swelling 
words of emptiness. They allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness. The ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. Do you see that? There are people who have escaped error that will be pulled back into deception. There are people who got away from the world, the flesh and the devil, who get pulled back into it because they are allured through their evil desires by false teaching. Satanic deception will cause you to fall. Verse 19, these false teachers, they promise them liberty. They themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. For if after they've escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and they are entangled in them again and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. It would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit and a sow having been washed to her wallowing in the mire. There it is. There's the possibility of falling away. And now you have the prescription for falling away. Stubborn disobedience leads you to satanic deception. And the result is you will walk away from your relationship with Christ. Well, number three and finally, how do we avoid it? What is our protection against it? How are we protected from falling away? There is a very real possibility of falling away. None of us has shouted on streets of glory yet. You're not home yet, and neither am I. We must endure. The Bible gives us the prescription. Deception and disobedience come together to lead us away from Christ. How do we avoid being part of the great falling away that the Bible predicts will happen to many people in the last days? How do I make sure I'm not one of the many who fall away? Well, let me give you some steps. Number one, make sure you're actually in the family of God. Many people who think they're in aren't really in. Many people who think they're in never have been in. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13 and 5, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test, unless you are disqualified? In other words, we are to examine our own hearts and answer the tough question, am I really saved? Does the Lord Jesus really live in me? Is Christ really in my heart? Does the Spirit of God really live in my, in my spirit? Is he really there? Is Jesus in my life? And you know that by the peace he brings, and you know that by the fruit that he brings. Has, has your life changed since your profession of faith? Are you really saved? Does he live in your heart? Does God's own spirit whisper in your heart the assurance that your sins are forgiven and that your heart is right with God? If not, then you fail the test. Oh, pastor, aren't you afraid of making someone doubt their salvation? I would rather you doubt a false salvation than trust. I'd rather you doubt a false salvation than trust in a false salvation and get to the end and realize you were wrong. And so at the risk of unnerving you a little bit, the Bible says examine yourselves and see if you're in the faith or not. The first step to not falling out is to make sure you're in to begin with. Number two, we are to draw near to God. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Sinners need to be cleansed, but double-minded people need to be purified. Whenever you're lost and you're saved, you get cleansed. But whenever you're double-minded, you've come to know the Lord Jesus, but you haven't fully surrendered to him, you're one foot in and one foot out. Part of you wants to serve God and part of you doesn't. You need your heart to be purified. You need to be sanctified. You need to go all the way with the Lord and let him do a work in your heart. You need to draw near to God. Jesus taught us to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation. 
salvation. Jesus said we ought to always pray and not faint. If you don't pray, you will faint. Let me say this to you today. A prayerless Christian will not survive the last days. A Christian who does not have a personal walk with God will not make it. What this season is showing many of us is what we're really made of. What many of us are experiencing when we're not able to gather in God's house on a regular basis is God is showing us the reality of our own spiritual life. Many of us, when we gather in this room, we sort of light our fire off everybody else's fire and we think we're spiritual because we're in a room full of spiritual people. But for the last few weeks, we've had to be home and we've had to be by ourselves. And it's been us and Jesus. It's been us and the Bible. It's been us and our own prayer life. And some of us find ourselves slipping away from God. Some of us find ourselves growing cold, getting lukewarm, getting lax. Listen, the test is just showing you the reality of your own spiritual life. And if you don't want to fall away, the answer is not to rush back here, but the answer is to fix your own personal relationship with God. Draw near to God. Number three, grow up in God's Word. The Bible tells us, 2 Peter 3, You therefore, beloved, you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you don't want to fall away, then you have to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. You're either growing or you're dying. There are no two options. We're either advancing or we're retreating in the things of God. The only way to make sure we won't fall from our secure position and be led away is if we are growing in our knowledge of Jesus and his word. The only true fire way to know you won't be deceived is if your life is planted deep in the pages of God's word. Do you know how they train a banker to spot a counterfeit? They don't study counterfeit money. They study real money. And they are so familiar with real money, the way it looks, the way it feels, the way it handles, how much it weighs, the way the ink looks on the paper. They are so familiar with real money that the moment counterfeit bills cross their desk, they can immediately spot them. Pastor, how will I know false doctrine? Do I need to go study all these false teachings? No, you don't. You need to study the truth. You need to study God's Word. And if you plant your life deep enough in God's word I promise you anytime something that is fake or untrue or false or not real you will know it because you will know it doesn't line up with the word of God that you've studied and that you've learned grow up in the word of God number four we need to stay far from sin sin will numb your conscience 2 Peter 2.20, we've quoted it a couple times already. If after they escape the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if they are entangled in them and overcome again, the latter end is worse than the beginning. You will not just end up back where you started. You will end up worse than you started. I have watched this happen. I have watched people who came out of the world and came into the house of God and the Lord had an encounter with the Lord and their life radically changed and then they went back and they didn't fall back to where they started. They became far worse than they had ever been before they knew the Lord. If you ever leave and get out there and the enemy has a shot, he's going to get you as far away as he can and hold you as long as he can. Playing with sin will sear your conscience and dull your ability to hear from God and tell truth from error. Don't play into the enemy's hands by playing in sin. It is a trap and sin is the bait on the rat trap to get you out there. Finally, and I close with this, stay close 
to the church. Stay close to the church. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, so that none of you are hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. How do you make sure your heart doesn't get hard? You stay around other people that love God, and they encourage you. And when you begin to slip, they call you out. And when you begin to get discouraged, they encourage you and breathe life into you. That's how you do it. Hebrews 10.24, Let us consider one another that we may stir up love and good works, not for Taking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. There are times you may be providentially hindered from God's house. There are times, like the season we're in right now, where we may be hindered from gathering because of circumstances beyond our control. But the writer of Hebrews stresses to us the importance of being part of a church body and that family pouring into our lives. Listen, it is the, it's, the, it's the banana that breaks away from the bunch that gets put in, in the fruit bowl, right? It's the gazelle that strays from the herd that gets eaten by the lion. We need other believers to encourage us in our faith and to warn us when we begin to slip spiritually. Chad, come help me today as we prepare to close. I want to ask you today, don't misunderstand this message. I'm not telling you that these five steps are good works you have to do in order to earn or to keep your salvation. Not at all. We're saved by grace through faith, by trusting in Christ. But the mistake many people make is this. They believe that saving faith is a one-time act and the Bible never paints it that way. Whenever the Bible tells us to believe on the Lord Jesus, it is always a present tense verb. If it meant a one-time act, it would be an aorist verb. One time, believe and you're done. But that's not the way the Bible describes believing in Jesus. It's always a present tense verb, which means it is ongoing, consistent action in the present. It is not just, I believed on the Lord Jesus 20 years ago. No, it is, I started trusting Christ and I have trusted him moment by moment ever since then. That's what it means to have saving faith. It's always present tense. It's always current. It's always now. The Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith isn't yesterday. Faith is now. And we have to be trusting Christ now. It's a continual leaning on Christ. It's a moment-by-moment reliance on Jesus. It to save us from the guilt of our past sin and to rescue us from the power of our present sin so we don't get pulled away. Listen, it is constantly trusting, actively depending on Christ. The road that leads home is not a step of faith. It is a walk of faith. We must continue steadfast in the faith. We must endure to the end like Jesus. Jesus said, we must be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as Paul told the church at Corinth. Like Paul said to the Philippians, we must forget those things which are behind and straining forward to the things that are ahead. We must press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, we must throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us and we must run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. This is the verse we've had all week in Kids Church, right? In Kids Fest, we've talked about this. We're to run this race with perseverance, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who began the journey of faith and the one one who will help us complete the journey of faith. Listen today, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, today's a great day to do that. 
The only way for you to be ready for the coming of the Lord is to have a personal relationship with Christ. It's not enough that you're warm toward the church. It's not enough that you attend the church or even support the church with your giving. You must know Jesus. You must have a personal relationship with Christ. And if you've never done that, it begins by saying a prayer and inviting him into your life. It begins by admitting your sin and acknowledging that you are lost and away from God, that your sin has separated you from Christ. Number two, it continues by confessing your faith and believing on the Lord Jesus and saying, Lord, I believe that when you died on the cross and rose again, you did it to set me free from sin. And then to commit your life to Christ and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And from this point forward, if you will save me, I will live for you with all the grace and strength and help you give me. And that's how you begin this journey of faith. Maybe you're watching today and you once walked with Christ, but you're backslidden. You're out of fellowship with God. You've, you've walked away. You've wandered from the truth. You've drifted. Your love has grown cold like Jesus warned many people would. You've fallen from your secure position, as Peter says. How do you get back there? Well, the same way you came in, you repent. You ask God to forgive you. You refocus your attention on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you start where you are, and he will take you back into his arms, and he will walk you out of the mess you're in, and you will return to him, and you return to his church family, and you begin living for Christ. And you return, return to the Lord. That's what the Bible says throughout the whole book. Return to me, he says in, in the prophets. The road that leads home begins with a step of faith, but it's a walk of faith all the way through. Maybe you need to pray with someone today. Can I urge you? Call the pastor on call number today, 251-345-1700. We would love to pray with you today about your relationship with Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, in Jesus' name, we love you and we bless you. Lord, we ask you today, if there's someone here today who's watching, who's been stirred and convicted of sin by the Lord Jesus, that today their heart would open, that they would believe the gospel. In the stillness of this moment, they would cry out to God and say, Lord, I do admit that I'm a sinner and I'm away from you. And Lord, I believe you died and rose for me, and that your blood was enough to pay the penalty of my sin and to free me from its power. Lord, I ask you today to save me, and if you will, I'll commit the rest of my life to following you and walking with you with all the grace you give. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to know that. If you're struggling with that and it's difficult for you, get alone with God today. Get alone with him and pray this through, and then let us know that you did. We'd love to share some resources with you on how to begin this journey of faith. If you've wandered away and need to return to Christ, take that step today. Don't wait. Do it today. If you have been growing cold, if you've noticed your own spiritual life beginning to slip, can I urge you today, stop, throw on the brakes now and reignite your passion for Christ. Catch yourself before you slip further down the road of unbelief. You don't want to be part of the great falling away. You want to be ready for the coming of the Lord whenever he comes. Amen. Amen. I hope today you've been blessed by the service, by our time of worship. Hope you've been blessed by the message. If you need to pray with us, call that number, and we would love to help you. I want to say a special thank you to our faithful church family who have been so loyal to continue to give to their church during this time of um, health crisis. We thank you for your continued support. It means the world. We want you to continue to do that. And again, you can do that by giving online through our website, forcedhillcog.org. You can text to give. There's a number for that. 
or you can mail to our church office your tithes and gifts and they'll come that way. Either way, we'll receive them and it'll be a great blessing to us during this time. Don't forget, it's the first Sunday of the month. It's Mission Sunday. and We want to bless the Smoky Mountain Home for Children by being able to finish the project we promised we would finish uh, in order to get their building well underway. Amen. Hope you've been blessed today. Hope that you'll join us sometime this week, maybe Wednesday, sometime during that day. Slip in for a time of prayer. We'll give you more details on that later. Join us Wednesday night for our Bible studies and various ministries and for Midweek with Pastor at 7 o'clock. And don't forget tonight is the last night of Kids Fest 2020, focusing on the Lord Jesus. Join us at 6 o'clock for preschool, 7 for elementary. Amen. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for the time around your word. Now we ask for your blessing on us in Jesus' name, and we receive it. As we say, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift his countenance on you and grant you peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and his people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.